0: Alright, well good morning. A few of you might remember me from last time, but those of you that don't, my name is Jeff Fitzgerald, and uh, my wife's in the back as well, Crystal. And uh, James is not here this morning, obviously, and uh, Jake is actually trying out for an Olympic development team uh, for soccer, of course, today, so wish him the best, and uh, Jameson his best, and um, just wanted to let you know where he's at not sleeping in or anything like that but um, anyway I just want to share a couple of thoughts this morning and I know that we need to be done by about 10:15 so I'm gonna try my best to do uh, to do that but I want to share a couple of things um, specifically in the area of repentance um, and what that word really really means um, it's not what most people think it means it's not definitely not what the church teaches by and large uh, so I just want to share um, what repentance is and really the gift of Like Pastor Clark uh, says in his book, it really is a gift uh, if it's actually applied correctly. So I want to talk a little bit about that. But before we begin, I'm going to ask Russ if he would actually pray. So I'm going to walk back there to you so you don't have to get up. So uh, get us started. So if you do that for us, sir, it would be great. We will get going.
1: Praise God. It's a beautiful morning, Lord, and we just thank you for the privilege of having our hearts refreshed, Our minds renewed. Thank you, Lord, for all of us having this treasure in this earthen vessel. Though the outer man may be deteriorating every day, we recognize that the inner man is being renewed. And so, as we sit and we stand together today, Father, we're open to our hearts, being endeared to you even more and more, as my brother shares today. And Father, we just want to say thank you that this word sets us free, this word makes us whole. And the word of life is that to us, both physically and spiritually. We receive it now in the name of Jesus Christ, and to you be glory. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rush. All right. All right. Okay. All right. Um, sit on the couch the other night and. Um, I can't remember what I was watching, I think I was watching the NBA playoffs or something like that, one of the games, and it wasn't a very good game, it was a blowout, and uh, so I just uh, switched it on to uh, Christian television, bad idea, Um, (laughs) um, looking back now, and and some of you might have uh, switched on it watching the same show I was, but I don't know, if you were then um, you can feel my heartache here. Uh, But basically what the um, essence of the show was Was about five or six guys sitting on a couch And they were debating This is what they were debating Whether or not the creation was a literal seven day creation Yeah That was the debate And I'm like Okay, so If a lost person, unbeliever, turns that on Starts watching that Is that really going to bring hope? Is that really going to bring peace? Is it really going to bring the love of Christ? Like, this is what we're debating. And and again, I'm not saying that's not okay to talk about, but not in that setting. You know what I mean? It just, so they're talking about this and, you know, one side thinks it's a literal seven days and another side thinks, no, it's not a literal seven days because God stands outside of time, which is true, but I didn't really see the point of it. I don't see really the benefit of it you know debating back and forth and this is what we're using two hours of uh, airtime time to, to talk about so anyway it was just kind of frustrating I know that uh, some of you in here can uh, know what I'm talking about if you've watched that sort of thing but one of the things that was said which I think is interesting which has been used so many times is the area of law and how there's this train of thought out there that we use the law to bring people to Christ you know have you heard that before you know, the law is our schoolmaster uh, to bring us to Christ. Well, if you actually look at the original and what it says, that's not at all what that scripture says. It doesn't say that the law was our schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. It actually says the law was our schoolmaster until Christ. It's a big difference, right? The law was our schoolmaster until Christ. So we don't use the law to lead people to Christ. That's like saying, all right, um, I'm going to use the bad news to lead you to the good news. You know, it, it doesn't make sense. It, it, it's not going to uh, bring somebody that doesn't know Christ, doesn't know the love of Christ that we all know and have come to realize. It's not going to bring them to a fruitful relationship with Christ because you're using um, the law to bring people into grace. You know, it just it doesn't make sense. So. I just wanted to share that in Galatians three twenty four is that scripture reference. But in the Amplified, it says, "So that the law served to us Jews as a trainer, our guardian, our guide to Christ, to lead us until Christ came, that we might be justified or declared righteous, put in right standing with God by and through faith." So anyway, just kind of want to share that, um, share that out there. And basically, what they do is they use condemnation, uh, they use judgment, but they already know. If you're speaking with a, a, a person that's an unbeliever, you know they're a lost person, you don't have to convince them that they're a sinner. They already know that. They already know that they're condemned because if you read in Romans chapter 2, it says the wrath of God has been revealed. It's a past tense thing. So it's not something that's our job, our responsibility, or our role to say, hey, guess what, you're a sinner. They already know that. It's, It's ingrained into them when they're born into this world. They already know that. So to try to convince somebody... That, hey, they're a sinner, and I'm going to share with you, you know, hey, have you heard the good news? You're a sinner. <laughs> you know, it just, it, it, it doesn't make sense. So it, it, anyway, it just, it was just frustrating listening to that. But anyway, what I want to share today is, uh, is this word of repentance. And I think it's probably the most misunderstood and abused word uh, in the church. Um, there's some other ones out there But I think that's right there at the top of the list As far as how it's applied And how it, definitely how it's taught um, You know in the church So I just want to share a couple of thoughts um, As far as what repentance is And really to, to understand what repentance is You have to look at the history of the word And really where it came from So I kind of want to do a, a little bit of a word study And I'm going to use the board here Write a couple words down just so you guys can can use But What I thought was really interesting, just doing some research about the word repentance. Um, During the days of Alexander the Great, for history buffs that are there, uh, there are many types of Greek languages. There was a lot of them. There wasn't just one specific Greek language. During his time, there, there was many of them. And after he conquered the known world about 300 B.C., he had a problem communicating with many of the Greeks. He had an issue. After he conquered that, he's like, you know what? Don't really want to learn all these Greek languages and all the different dialects and things. So what I'm going to do, as Alexander the Great, is I'm going to create my own Greek um, translation, my you know Greek um, communication. Basically, what he did, and he came up with a term, and it's spelled C O I N E, which is pronounced Koine. See, like just a coin, and then the letter A. It's Koine. Um, it's meant, which meant common Greek. That's basically what it is. It meant common Greek. So once he put that into play, everybody uh, under his uh, leadership or under his rule was required to learn that if they wanted to communicate. That was the requirement of that. So if they wanted to communicate with anybody, that's the one that they had to learn. Everything else was not uh, not considered. So in English, uh, excuse me, in koine, words could only have one meaning, okay? One meaning—that's it. Where in English we can have a word that means several things, right? But in Greek, it's just one meaning. So um, this is really going to really be cool. It's really a cool revelation for me. Um, under Koine, there was no doubt what that word meant. Eventually, this language became the dominant language of what we know now as the New Testament. Okay. So our dictionaries get their definition of words from common usage without much regard for its original language. Okay. So those of you that um, have heard the word repentance and, and, you know, been taught it, unfortunately, not the correct way. Repentance in the dictionary, if you were to look that word up, means to feel sorry, self-reproachful, or contrite for past conduct. And basically what the dictionary does is they define words based on its common usage, not necessarily where it originally came from. Any word that you look at in the dictionary, right? That, that's what they do. But if you look at the word repentance... If you take the word if you take the letters re out what do you have penance right exactly so what do we what do we how is penant defined it's feeling or expressing sorrow for sin or wrongdoing all right so if you tack on back the re it's a continually a continually continually excuse me i can't talk this morning continually feeling sorrow for sin it's repentance. It's doing it over and over and over and over and over and over again. But how many know that under the new covenant, how many times are we forgiven? Once. Once. Right? So to teach that you have to keep doing something over and over and over and over in order to be forgiven, that's not the new covenant. That's the old covenant. They had to do that, right? Under the old covenant, they had to do things over and over and over and over and over again. They couldn't just, under the new covenant, um, you know, where where now we realize that we are forgiven once because of the shed blood of Christ. They were forgiven based on the the, the shed blood of bulls and animals and goats and sacrifices and all those types of things. They couldn't just walk around saying you know what I'm, I'm forgiven once based on the sacrifice of Christ so to teach repentance like you have to do things over and over and over again and ba- essentially what they're teaching is it's a response to condemnation you know that's really what they teach as far as how repentance is, is taught in the church you feel condemned so now you need to go repent to try to get forgiven but you're really not forgiven if you have to keep doing it over and over and over and over and over again So, the the penance, and I thought this was interesting. Um, They actually had the Roman Catholic definition in the dictionary. I thought that was interesting. It's the Roman Catholic Church, this is their definition, a person who confesses sin and submits to a penance. Pretty interesting. The word penance is religious discipline or self-mortification. (laughs) Self-mortification. As a token of repentance and... I thought this was interesting. And as atonement for some sin. That's for some sin. It's an atonement. Or it's a voluntary self-punishment. So penance basically means you beat yourself up over and over and over and over again to try to get cleansed. Right? But under the new covenant, we're already cleansed. It's a continual cleansing. The difference is in the new covenant, it's almost like standing underneath a waterfall in Hawaii, something like that. It's a continual cleansing. We're always clean. We're not, it's not like you have to go, you know, take a bath or take a shower every time that you sin or, you know, whatever that looks like. And I think the word sin needs to be redefined, too, because most people think you know, sins are up here and there's, you know, major sins. But, you know, um, speeding or something like that, and that's not really sin, you know, whatever. You know, it, that, that definitely needs to be redefined. Uh, but as believers, we don't do anything to make up for sin. That would mean the cross was just a down payment. It wasn't, you know, really good enough. That's essentially what that means. But um, in the New Testament, there are two different Greek words that have been translated repent. And I'm going to write these up on the, on the board for you just so you can get kind of an accurate spelling. Um, and, and really what, what I'm trying to do is to stop using the word repent. Because repent really is not an English word. It's a Greek word. Okay. It uh, wasn't, even, wasn't even used in the Bible until the King James versions came into play in 1611. So repent is actually, it's a Greek word. It comes from two Greek words, which I'm going to share with you now. Uh, One is metanoia, which um, Pastor Clark talks about in his book, which is really good. But just so you guys can see this. um, Okay. Okay. All right, so... Meta means to change. And then noia means thinking. All right. And then this word right here, noia, is actually derived from a word naus or nous. I'm not really sure, which means mind. Okay. So if you put all those together... Metanoia means to change your mind. Okay, you see that? All right. Do you see anything in there about changing your behavior? No. <laughs> no? Okay. All right. So that's one meaning. This one I thought was really, really interesting. And I'd, I'd never done this before or studied this before. The second one is metamelomai, M-E-L. Okay, okay, meta, we know, means change. This, metalomi means emotions. Okay, so basically what this means is that you're sorry for sin, you're regretful, you know, but does that necessarily mean that you're going to stop the behavior? No. no, absolutely not. All right, so very, very interesting here. So what I want to do, for those that, got your, that have your Bibles, I thought this was really, really interesting. Uh, it's turn over to Matthew 27. Verse three. Okay, Matthew twenty-seven. I'll start with verse one. It says, when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death, and they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate the governor. This is Matthew twenty-seven, verse three. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, my version says he changed his mind, but in the King James it says he repented, you know, um, and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they go on and we know what takes place after that. He went out and, and he hung himself. Now, the word used there for repent is this word right here. Judas had a change of emotions. He was sorry. He was regretful. But he didn't change his mind about what we're supposed to change our mind about. And I'm going to get into that in a second. So, yes, he repented, but not for the reason that, that we know what repentance means, a change of mind. Okay, so he had a change of emotions, but it didn't mean that he was saved. All right? Does that make sense? See the difference there? Okay. Um, they just regretted the action. And uh, Judas basically just became regretful again about betraying Christ. Okay. So repentance, as many circles teach, does not lead to a change in behavior. You know, how many times before you guys start, started actually realizing and understanding the message of grace, how many times did you repent or what you thought repentance was, right? Pretty much every Sunday, right? Oh, my God, I repent. I repent, Lord. I repent. I'm so sorry. I repent. Oh, my God. I, I repent. I do penance. I beat myself up. I repent. Go down to the altar, whatever you want to call it. How many times did we repent? You know, but now under the New Covenant, we understand that, yes, repentance is a great thing because it just means to change your mind about who you are in Christ. That's what repentance is. It's a continual revelation of who you are, not of who you're trying to become. You know? So it's, it's, a, it's just a change in thought there. Um, okay. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. I'm sure you've all read it plenty of times, as I have. <laughs> you there? Romans 2, 4. Okay. It says, it's the wrath of God that leads to repentance. <laughs> That's not what yours says? No? no? Okay. Alright. What's it say? It's the kindness. kindness, it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance or metanoia means a leading to a change your mind something i think is interesting look at the way that god is so delicate and and how he um ministers grace to the unbeliever look at the word there it's the kindness of god that what leads. leads right all right so come up here for a second i don't know your name that's okay so the difference okay now if i'm walking what's your name Rick, Rick. okay, if I'm walking with Rick, let's say in a place he's never been before, I'm not going to be like this, hey, you know, go, go, you know, leading, come back here for a second, leading is I'm walking with him, I'm walking with him, so, thanks, see, the difference between the way the church teaches it, repentance, is a pushing, it's a pushing, get there, repent, 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 you know, where God, the way that God does it, is he leads. He leads. You know, think of, think of the, uh, the picture of a shepherd. You know, he leads his sheep. He leads them. So that's how you, we need to think about uh, repentance there. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. It's not repentance that leads to God's kindness. Right? But that's the way that in many circles it's taught. You know, if you repent and if you do these things, then God's going to change his mind about you. That's the way that it's taught in most circles, which is not true. It's the kindness of God that leads them to changing their mind about who they are. Now, from an unbeliever's perspective, it's a little bit different. From an unbeliever's perspective, um, when Jesus was, was speaking in, where's it at? Mark, chapter 1, verse 15. I'm just going to read this. Mark chapter 1 verse 15 says now after John was arrested Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand <clears throat> repent of your sins and be saved Does it say that? No. Exactly. Can you say that again, Russ?
1: Repent and believe in the gospel.
0: Exactly. All right. Now, does that look like the way that most churches teach that? No, it says repent. And then what? Believe. It doesn't say repent of your sins and then I'll forgive you. No, it says repent and believe. Okay. Jesus was saying to change your mind about the gospel. He was saying, hey, change your mind about me, not about your sins, because if you're focused on sin, what are you? You're sin conscious. Right. But in Hebrews chapter 10. What's it tell us? It says we are to have no sin consciousness, right? Because we are to be Christ consciousness. Focusing on sin will not change your behavior, right? The law was introduced to increase sin, right? It doesn't, mean, it doesn't say the law was increased to make you act better. It was introduced to make you see, here's the standard, there's no way that you can attain to this standard. Now let me come and show you the standard yes. so that you don't have to perform the standard. Yes. That's what Christ was saying. So the law, you cannot use the law in that way, which many people do. We, we know that. Um, so I think it's pretty interesting in that um, John, yeah, John chapter 3, verse 18. If you want to flip over there real quick. John chapter 3, verse 18. Okay. Okay. John chapter 3, verse 18. This says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God alright question why is an unbeliever condemned any answers exactly it's not because of sin it's because of unbelief they're condemned because of unbelief right right And I also think it's interesting, if you look at the the whole book of Hebrews, which I think is probably one of the most books in the whole Bible that's not taught. Love the book of Hebrews. Awesome. I know one of my brothers here was talking about Hebrews this morning. Love it. It's great. Kills legalism. Absolutely just crushes it. But if you look at the book of Hebrews, throughout that entire book, it has nothing to do with um, sin. Right, Hebrews 10 talks about people pull that all, all the time If you continually sin Then you'll be condemned to hell Basically is, is how the church teaches it But the word sin there In the original Greek Is unbelief So read that a different way If you continually unbelieving If you continually Stay in your unbelief Then of course yes Then you're going to spend an eternity away from God But it has nothing to do with the act of sin it's unbelief, okay? So just kind of wanted to, to throw that out there That um, for somebody that you know, will always bring that up. You know, What about Hebrews chapter 10? What about Hebrews chapter 6? The whole book of Hebrews does not talk about sin as far as an act of sin. The only sin that it mentions is the sin of unbelief, all right? So just want to throw that out there. All right, I thought this was really good. This is a really good um, quote. Anybody ever heard of Curry Blake? Yeah, Curry Blake. Um, He is the, I guess, a curator or whatever. Um, He's the one that uh, has kept the ministry of John G. Lake going. Um, But anyway, he did a really good teaching on repentance. And I just wanted to share one quick quote that he said I thought was really good. Um, He said, some brilliant mind somewhere along the way added of sin to repent and came up with the moronic phrase, repent of your sins. Someone else added, and be saved. And came up with, repent of your sins and be saved. This is a false gospel because it leaves out two things. Faith and Christ. People who use the phrase repent of your sins as a condition preceding salvation or as forgiveness of sin are either ignorant or are intentionally teaching a false gospel. Anywhere metaneo is translated repent, you can substitute change your mind and the verse will make sense. Okay? Okay? If you're thinking of sins, after you see repent, the whole gospel message shifts from accepting the free gift of God to something you have to do as a condition of salvation. All right? So, I thought that was really, really good. It has nothing to do with what we think it means. Um, okay, so, also something I think is, is, is really interesting is, okay. Um, okay. Luke 22, we got about 10 minutes here, good. Luke chapter 22, you guys get anything out of this? It's good? Yeah. All right, good. All right. Luke 22, this is just like really simple things you can share with people that really um, harp on the word repentance. Like it's the main thing, you know? I'm like when did repentance come the main thing and not Christ? You know, it just, anyway, so these are just really simple things you guys can share with people. I like, I'm a simple guy. I don't, I'm not going to exegesis with somebody and go into a great debate and all that stuff. But if you really just share scripture with people, and and obviously love them with the love of Christ, of course, um, then then they can see the truth. But I think this is really, really cool. Luke chapter 22, verse starting with verse 54. I just want to show you. How loving Christ is with his disciples and and how it's the total opposite of the way that church, as we know it in many circles, teaches repentance. Okay, you guys there? Luke 22, uh, starting with verse 54. I think this is really, really cool. Okay, this is, obviously we've, we've read this before, this is the betrayal, the arrest of Christ. He's getting ready to be crucified. Verse 54 says, Then they seized him, Christ, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I'm not. And he probably used some choice words there, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> probably not what the Bible says. Um, and after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Look at verse 61. I think this is so cool. Verse 61 says, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. All right, can you just imagine the look that he looked at Peter with, right? Do you think it was a look of judgment? Do you think it was a look of wrath? Do you think it was a look of, I'm condemning you? Right, so Peter remembered saying of the Lord how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Now, let me ask you a question. In that verse, what came first? Peter's repentance or changing his mind or the look of the Lord? The look of the Lord. Kindness is the love of God that leads to repentance, right? So that's another scripture you can share with somebody that it's not that you focus on repentance first and then the kindness of God comes. No, it's the kindness of God. That, and again, it's leads like a shepherd leads. You know, like we lead our kids when they're, you know, like my daughter is, is two and a half. It's not like, You know, going like this, you know, or pushing her from behind. No, I'm walking with her hand in hand to lead her. So that's how we have to think of the word repentance. So, anyway, um, another scripture you can share with with somebody, uh, and that's Luke 22, 54 through 62. Uh, The other one is Luke chapter 24, just maybe one page over or so. Luke 24, 36 through 42. This is after the resurrection. After he had appeared to over 500, as we know. says, Luke 24, starting with verse 36. Okay. It says, As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Repent! <laughs> no. What did he say? He said, Peace. Peace to you or peace I bring because before that, now we, we could have said, you know what? Yeah, they needed to repent because we have to understand that unbelief is a sin, right? So how many of the disciples were in sin when Jesus was, you know, crucified on the cross? Pretty much all of them. They, none of, they, they left, you know, and, and Peter, you know, I don't know who he is. I have no know what you're talking about. It's unbelief. So Jesus could have walked in and said, you know what? You guys need to repent. And until you repent, then I'm going to turn my back on you. you know, and then after you repent, then I'll, I'll turn back around to you. No, he didn't say that, right? am um, I peace to you, but they were startled and frightened, thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Sin, right? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved disbelieve for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Hey, have anything to eat? That's the love of Jesus. Dear Lord. He walks in and he says, You know what? I could say repent. And he's the only one that could have said that because he's the son of God, obviously. But no, he walks and says, Hey, I bring peace. It's okay. You know, that's not what I'm concerned about. What most circles teach is this is what we're concerned about is, is if we teach on behavior modification, then once you do that, then you can really understand the love of God and you can understand kindness. And really what they're saying is you've got to do penance. You've got to do penance. Penance is already done one time. Right? It's already done one time, so you, you can't use that as an excuse to, you know, bring judgment on somebody or whatever the case may be. Um, Let's see. There's one other thing I wanted to share. Um, actually, no, it was the last one. That, that script that I just shared. So anyway, I hope you guys get something out of that. And um, these are the only two words that, again, mean repentance in the New Testament. Um, has nothing to do with behavior, has nothing to do with sin. So every time that you see, again, see the word repentance, just kind of want to bring this to a close. Every time you see the word repentance, even when Christ is speaking under the law, he was born under the law to redeem those under the law. We know that. He was saying, change your mind about the gospel. Change your mind about me, not change your mind about sin, because before that, in the old covenant, that's what they were focused on was behavior and sin. But under, even under the Old Covenant, whatever is not of faith is sin. Everything they did under the Old Covenant had nothing to do with faith. It had to do with obedience. right? So under the New Covenant, it has everything to do with faith, that we are cleansed once, we are purified once, right? We don't have to do it over and over and over and over and over again, okay? So just kind of wanted to bring some, some clarity to uh, the word repentance, and I've got, we've got about five minutes here. So anybody have any questions, any comments, anything they want to share? Yes? under the uh, also under the law uh, under legalism like my own testimony uh, when I was doing it over and over and over again uh-huh. enemy came in and said you know what uh, you know you're just trash Or this or that, you know. Yeah. And then uh, a false spirit would come in and say, mm-hmm. you know, God's gonna take his spirit from you. Right. Psalms fifty one. Mm-hmm. Uh he's not gonna and then he, they use those scriptures from the old testament, mm-hmm. God will not always strive with man. Right. So there's mm-hmm. a point where you just when you're doing this over and over again, mm-hmm. you get the mindset and it is a mindset too. Absolutely. If you are damned. Mm-hmm. It yeah. doesn't matter because right. this is what happens to you when you yeah. over when you fatten Keep asking over mm-hmm. and over again this forgiveness. Yeah. There's a point in your mind where God, when you feel like God takes the spirit from you, mm-hmm. does not strive with you anymore, yeah. and that He's gone. That's right. I mean, that's what they preach out there. Oh yeah. They say, yeah.
1: He will not always strive with you, so mm-hmm. you better watch out. Right. You know, and yeah. It's, like, it's so sick because you. can mm-hmm. just, You know, it's a sad. Yeah. It's yeah. A sad state. Yeah.
0: You know. Like you can outsend grace. <laughs> You know, no, oh where God. sin abounded, grace does much more abound. And I think also the interesting thing is when the enemy tries to come in, when you, when you send whatever it is that you just did, um, the interesting thing I think the enemy does is rather than come in and say, you know, try to convince you to say, you're dirty, you know, you are unclean, he actually goes to a deeper level and he gets you to say to yourself, I am dirty. Right. I am unclean, yeah. right. Exactly right? It's a big difference because when you say it yourself... And you say, I'm dirty. I'm clean. It's not the enemy saying, you're undirty. You're clean. He comes into a deeper level and says, I'm unclean. I'm dirty to make you feel like what you just did takes you away or takes you out of fellowship from God. That can't be because we're in union with him. We're one spirit with him. It doesn't say he's going to leave or take his fellowship away like he's in some swivel chair up in heaven or something. When you sin, he turns a swivel chair around. And then when you repent, he turns it back around and he faces towards you. No. No. He doesn't. Jesus looked at Peter, right? He didn't turn his back away from him and said, until you repent, then you can follow me. No, he looked at Peter. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Amen. Yes, sir. Uh, for about
1: 40 years, I've been questioning this, this teaching. Uh, not really totally understanding of being part of the law and part mm-hmm. of grace. Because God showed me a lot of grace when he first saved me. Right. And uh, I questioned this teaching for many, many years. And I always told people uh, when I witnessed it, people, that the last words that they would ever hear from Jesus, which kind of culminates your whole teaching, mm-hmm. apart from me, you work very quickly, for I never did it. Not because you didn't repent, but because I never did it. That's knew.
0: good, yeah. Yeah, that's so true. That's right. Yeah, union. absolutely. It's union. Right. Yes, for us.
1: You mentioned a term that's so prevalent within religious teaching earlier today regarding consciousness of sin. Uh I echo today the good words that, that John the Baptist preached. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away
0: That's right. the sin of the world. Yes.
1: Why is it that we no longer have consciousness of sin? Right. Because sin is no longer a part of
0: Yes, yes, amen. amen. That's You're right.
1: No longer conscious
0: of sin. Good word. Amen. That's so true. That's so true. Yes. I don't have my Bible. I can't find it where it is. in Hebrews. And I believe it's Hebrews, Tammy. You touched around it. Uh-huh. That verse that indicates that once you have known salvation the mm-hmm. God, if you fall away, and I don't know if there's just apostasy about there, mm-hmm. there is no return. You cannot come back. Right. That barrier is always trouble. It is yeah, I believe that's Hebrews six, uh-huh. uh, if my if my mind serves correctly. I think it's Hebrews six. Um, if somebody's there before <laughs> me can find it, but I'm I'm pretty sure it's Hebrews six. It is Hebrews 6. do you have the verse? Yeah, and it's the only two that people will, will say when you, when you start talking about once saved, always saved. What is it? 6-6. Six, six. Hebrews 6-6, six, six. yeah. Um, yeah, and this who would do if God permits? for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to not salvation – to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding them up to contempt. That's speaking to unbelievers. It has nothing to do with believers. But if that were the case, if somebody says, well, what about Hebrews 6.6? You can just bring up what I just talked about, about Peter. Look at that, right? Um, was Peter enlightened? Yes. 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 Had Peter tasted the heavenly gift? Yes. yes. Has he shared in the Holy Spirit? Yes. yes. And he tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. Peter experienced all of that. So if their argument were true, then you can pretty much say, you know what, Peter's not in heaven. Because he just did all of those things, right? So that that's... That Hebrews 10 and Hebrews 6 is not speaking to believers. That whole context is not speaking to believers. There's more to that, but there's some really good teachings out there um, that really address Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10. Joseph Prince has a really, really good one uh, that addresses those specifically, and it, it, but it's not speaking to believers. So hopefully that helps.
1: Well, I brought it up to
0: different
1: One person said, well, you've got to remember the time that Hebrews was written
0: that's right, Jews. yes, that's right, exactly. That, and that really is the only argument that you need. We have to look at context, who it was written to, and, and the audience. You know what I mean? It wasn't written to, it was written to Jewish believers that were attempting to kind of mix the law, the temple worship, and with Christ. You know, they were attempting to do both and kind of bring them together. And Paul's saying, no, you, it's, it's either all of Christ and that's it. You don't need to go back to temple worship. That's what Paul was, was trying to get that point across. So, um, Okay, so it's like 1020, so I'm going to get you guys out get some coffee and stuff. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this word today, God. We thank you for clarity of your word, God. We thank you that your word says it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance, God. It leads us to a changing of our mind, God. And I thank you that we have the gift of repentance, that we're always changing our mind, or in a sense we're always repenting, changing our mind about who we are in Christ. It's a continual revelation of the gift that you've given to us, of who we are. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. Never to lose that, never to lose fellowship with you, Father. We thank you that we're always in union with you and always in perfect relationship with you, God. We just thank you for today. Thank you for the word that's coming from uh, from Pastor Clark. Thank you for everybody that's here today. Bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Enjoy the day.